and the message of her death is still as important today. If Alison Carter's story tells us one thing, it is that even the gravest of dangers can wear a friendly face. Nothing can bring Alison Carter back, but reminding the world of what happened to her might prevent others coming to harm. If this book achieves that, both George Bennett and I will feel some satisfaction. Catherine Hethcote, Longner, 1998 Prologue. The girl was saying goodbye to her life, and it was no easy farewell. Like any teenager, she'd always found plenty to complain about, but now that she was about to lose it, this life suddenly seemed very desirable. Now at last she began to understand why her elderly relatives clung so tenaciously to every precious moment, even if it was riven with pain. However bad this life was, the alternative was infinitely worse. She had even begun to regret things. All the time she'd wished her mother dead. All the time she'd wished that her dream of being a changeling would come true. All the hate she'd expended on the children at school who had called her names for not being one of them. All the fervent longings to be grown up with these miseries behind her. It all seemed irrelevant now. The only thing that mattered was the uniquely valuable life she was about to lose. She felt fear inevitably. Fear of what lay beyond as well as what lay immediately ahead. She'd been brought up to believe in heaven, and in its necessary counterweight, hell, the equal and opposite force that held things stable. She had her own very clear ideas of what heaven would be. More than she had ever hoped anything in her short life, she hoped that that was what lay in wait for her, so terrifyingly close now. But she was desperately afraid that what she was going to was hell. She wasn't so clear about what hell would consist of. She just knew that, compared to everything she'd hated about her life, it would be worse. And given what she knew, that meant it was going to be very bad indeed. Nevertheless, there was no other possible choice for her. The girl had to say goodbye to her life. Forever. Part One The Early Stages Manchester Evening News, Tuesday, 10th December, 1963, page 3. Hundred pound reward in boy hunt. Police continued to hunt for twelve-year-old John Kilbride today and hoped that a hundred pound reward might produce a new lead, for a local managing director has offered a hundred pounds to anyone who gives information which leads directly to the discovery of John, who vanished from his home in Smallshaw Lane, Ashton-under-Lyne, eighteen days ago. Chapter 1 Wednesday, 11th December, 1963, 7.53pm Help me! You've got to help me! The woman's voice quavered on the edge of tears. The duty constable who had picked up the phone heard a hiccuping gulp, as if the caller was struggling to speak. That's what we're here for, madam, PC Ron Swindell said stolidly. He'd worked in Buxton man and boy for the best part of fifteen years, and for the last five... He'd found it hard to shake off a sense that he was reliving the first ten. There was, he reckoned, nothing new under the sun. It was a view that would be irrevocably shattered by the events that were about to unfold around him, but for the moment he was content to trot out the formula that had served him well until now. "'What seems to be the problem?' he asked, his rich bass voice gently impersonal. "'Alison,' the woman gasped. "'My Alison's not come home.' "'Alison's your lass, is she?' P.C. Swindells asked, his voice deliberately calm, attempting to reassure the woman. 
She went straight out with a dog when she came in after school, and she's not come home. The sharp edge of hysteria forced the woman's voice higher. Swindells glanced automatically at the clock. Seven minutes before eight. The woman was right to be worried. The girl must have been out of the house near on four hours, and that was no joke at this time of year. Could she have gone to visit friends on the spur of the moment, like? he asked, knowing already that would have been her first port of call before she lifted the telephone. I've knocked every door in the village. She's missing, I'm telling you. Something's happened to my Alison. Now the woman was breaking down, her words choking out in the intervals between sobs. Swindells thought he heard the rumble of another voice in the background. Village, the woman had said. Where exactly are you calling from, madam? he asked. There was the sound of muffled conversation. Then a clear masculine voice came on the line, the unmistakable southern accent brisk with authority. This is Philip Hawkin from the manor house in Scardale, he said. I see, sir, Swindell said.